your name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you just give God a shout of praise in this room? Come on, if that was for me, that was all right. But I said, if you, if you believe in the promise, give God a shout of praise in this place. We thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm uber excited. I don't know if you know. You might be looking at me and saying, Pastor Ro, how dare you wear this jacket? Listen, I don't know if you know anything about this church, but this church is alive and loud, and I just thought I would display that in my outfit today. Come on, somebody. But we are in a series that we are beginning today entitled Heartbeat. Everybody shout Heartbeat. And, and the idea of what we speak about when we're saying heartbeat, what we are saying is what is it that we are made of? How many know there's a lot of people that they talk about it, but they ain't bees about it? Don't get quiet on me now. I'm just... <laughs> Sometimes we have to go through certain things to show what we are made of. And when we say heartbeat, we're talking about what is it that you are made of? How many of you know that if you squeeze an orange, what you expect to get out of the squeezing is some orange juice. And if you squeeze some lemon, what you expect to get is some lemon juice. And if you squeeze a pineapple, what you expect to get is a pina colada. Come on, somebody. <laughs> what is it that we are made of? And my prayer in this series is for the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about what this church is made of what this church is made of. In other words, we're going to talk about the seven core values that we built this church on. See, sometimes we don't know what to do because we don't know who we are. But when you know who you are, when you know what your core values are, you will always know what to do in life. What is it that we're made of? And so we're going to talk about that in the next seven weeks. And what, what I'm asking to our church today is that we would take the next seven weeks and we're going to say, hey, I'm going to spend some time these next seven weeks to hear what is it that this church is about. We're going to talk about the core values of our church. And if you have plans the next seven weeks, here's what I want to advise you to do. Cancel your plans and be here at four o'clock to hear about our core values. Amen? Can we give God a praise in this place? I want to read, I want to read to us uh, Acts chapter 3. And it is hot in here, but don't take off all your clothes. Come on. I'm getting hot. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. And I want you to read this with me. If you have a Bible, you can open up your Bible. You can open up your Bible app and um, you can follow along with us. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Or you can just kind of like look at the screen if you don't have a Bible. And this is from, the, from God's Word translation. And here's what it says. It says, Peter and John were, were going to the temple courtyard for the 3 o'clock prayer. Come on, somebody. There's something about 3 and 4 o'clock that's anointed. Come on, here we go. At the same time, a man who had been lame from birth was being carried by some men. Every day, these men would put the lame man at a gate in the temple courtyard. The gate was called Beautiful Gate. There he would beg 
for a handout from people going into the courtyard. When the man saw that Peter and John were about to go into the courtyard, he asked them for a handout. And Peter and John stared at him and he said, look at us, Peter said. So the man watched them closely. He expected to receive something from them. However, Peter said to him, I don't have money. I like the way the, the NIV translation says, silver and gold I do not have. He says, I don't have money, but what I give you is what I have. In the name of Jesus, or through the power of Jesus from Nazareth, get up and walk. Verse 7, it says, Peter took hold of the man's right hand and began to help him up. Immediately, the man's feet and ankles became strong, springing to his feet. He stood up and started to walk. He went with Peter and John into the temple courtyard, and the man was walking, jumping, and praising God. I mean, that text preaches by itself. But this is the title to my message today, and I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to tell them this title. Ask them, what is it that you're made of? That was like seven people. Look at the other neighbor, the one that's engaged and excited. Tell them, tell them what is it that you are made of? Would you help me pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, because you are moving in this house. Lord, I know that you have this word that you want to share with your children that you love. And I just pray, Lord God, that I may get out the way, Lord, that you may just use me as a vessel to share this word. And Lord, that we would hear what it is that your spirit wants us to hear tonight. Let our hearts be open to receive. Let our eyes be open to see all that you want to speak to us today. Thank you, Lord God, for giving me the opportunity to pastor one of the most amazing churches in New York. Be the father to the best-looking children on the planet and married to the hottest woman on the planet, Lisa Remedios. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Give God a shout of praise in this room one more time. I, I want to... I know you might not believe this, but I've been jumped three times. I know, I know I don't look it because I'm this good looking, but I've been jumped three times and usually I would ask the question, hey, has any, anybody here ever been jumped? But I realized that only Pastor Marquez and maybe two other people will raise their hand. And so, not to exclude anybody from this anecdote, um, I've been jumped three times and on one of those occasions, I'll never forget it, I was about 16 years old and I was playing basketball in the courtyard. And as I was, in the, I was in the courtyard, I was with a couple of my friends, and again, we were about 14, we were about 15 to 16 years old, all of us, a group of friends, right? And then out of nowhere, believe it or not, I'm not making this up, a group of about 20 kids came in. Now, they were in our size. They were a lot smaller, but there was a lot of them. Now, they were about 13 to 14 years old. Maybe they were 12. But they came in a group of 20 kids. I promise you, it looked like just, just a gang of kids just came into the courtyard. And I don't know where they got this, these weapons from, but they had a stack of nails. And I'm not talking about small little tiny nails that you, you know what I mean, that you clip wires with. I'm talking about like seven inch nails. The ones that, you know, they nailed Jesus with. They were walking around with them joints. And they walking around with these joints and hammers and tools. And, and I'm like, what in the world are these kids doing with all these, with all these tools? Well, they started throwing it in the courtyard. Now, again, there's a group of us. Maybe we're about like 
about six of us, and, and one of the kids that kind of hung around with our group, he looks at the group and he says, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to go. And I'm like, where are you going? He goes, I, I, mean, I just, I just got to go. So he kind of goes off, and as he leaves, he looks like he was scared of the gang of kids that were there, and now those kids start walking towards this kid. So he's on his way home, walking, like, walking towards the direction of his house, and now this gang of kids walk towards this young man. Now, immediately, I'm like, I'm like I can't let this kid go alone. So I kind of go with him. And I'm like, yo, I think his name was Kenny. I can't even remember his name at the time. But I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you home. And so we walk next to each other. And now these group of kids catch up and start throwing stuff at us. And now the kid takes off. And when he takes off, I'm left by myself. I'm like, yo, hold on a second. I'm like, excuse me. Hey, 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 hey. I need you to help me beat up these guys. And I literally tell him that. I'm like, hey, I think we could take these guys out. It's 20 of them, but they 13. So I was kid. I'll kick one in the face. And they'll all run. And he's like, no. He's like, I got to go do my homework. And he left me by myself. I got punched in the face. I got beat up. I got stabbed with nails. And I got a bottle broken on the, on the back of my head. Maybe a little bit of stitches on back there. Maybe I'm a little exaggerating, but it hurt a lot. I was... I was left alone. How many of you know now, this is one of those kids that used to talk a lot. He used to be like, yo, man, I got your back no matter what. How many of you know that in that moment of pressure, he showed what he was made of? Yeah. He showed what he was made of. I don't know about you, but there's something about pressure and difficult situations that kind of like begin to reveal and expose what you are really made of. Mm-hmm. What, what's really important. What, what is it that you are made of? Now, I promise you, I kid you not. I promise you, I could swear by this. I promise you, if the roles were a little different and that was me and Lisa about to get jumped, I promise you, Lisa, Lisa would have went full mama bear mode and she said, Rolando, get on my back. I'm going to carry you and fight them off with this hand. You go get some help and I'm going to protect you from any kind of danger. I promise you that's what she would have done and I know this for sure because you would think that that's who she was five years ago. I'm telling you this five days ago. Five days ago. We were here in the sanctuary at 1230 a.m. and I'm trying to scare Lucas and Ruben And so I'm banging on the wall. Boom, boom, boom. I'm trying to scare them because it's 1230 in the a.m. And Lisa's in the sanctuary. And I see Lisa come out of nowhere. She's beaming right through the front door. She's like. And I'm like, where are you going? I'm like, where are you going? She's like, someone's banging on the door. And I'm going to go who see it is. I'm like, girl, it's 1230 at night. You better keep that door closed. And she's like, nah, I'm going to see who's banging on that door. How, how many of you know that in those moments of pressure, she showed what she was made of? This, <laughs> hashtag my pastor. There's something about these moments of difficulty and these moments of pressure. These moments where it feels like life is, it, we're bearing life on our shoulders that show us and reveal what we're really made of. 
And I'm grateful because I look at this church community and I look at what God has done in the last few years. And I'm just so grateful that this church community has been the kind of church community that in the moment of crisis, that in the moment of difficulty, that in the moment of trouble, we showed what we were truly made of. My goodness, COVID hit. Racial tension hit. Accusations hit. Division hit. But in the midst of it all, that wasn't an opportunity for us to be victimized. It was an opportunity for us to rise and show what we were made of. Show what we are made of. What I want to talk to us today is, what is it that you are made of? I love this quote. I love this quote, and it has an unknown author. In other words, it's mine now. And I want, I, want, I want you to read this. It says, the same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg. See, it's not the circumstances, but what you are made of that makes a difference. Christ Uncensored, can I tell you that when we talk about heartbeat of this church, we're talking about the heartbeat of something. What we're talking about this church, we're talking about what is it that we're made of? What is it that it's in our core? What is it that we have? And I want to give you the first thing that is dear to us, the first thing that we are made of, and it's this one core value that we preach Jesus. See, I love, I love, I love that in the moment of difficulty, what we said as a community that, hey, we can't control the circumstances, but we know that in the midst of the circumstances, we're going to reveal what we are made of. We're always going to be the kind of church that preaches Jesus, that loves people, that serves with excellence, that worships authentically, that does life like community, that gives honor where honor is due. We're always going to be the kind of church that lives by our core values. And that first one is that we preach Jesus. Look at the person next to you, tell them we preach Jesus. And so as a church family, I always wanna make sure that as the pastor, I'm making it clear what is it that is important to us? What is it that we hold dear to our heart? What is our heartbeat? That no matter what we experience, We'll never stop making the main thing the main thing, that depending on what stage, no matter what stage you are, no matter what part of life you are in, no matter what questions you are wrestling with, what you will never have to wrestle with is knowing who we are as a church community, is the answer of what our core value is, which is we preach Jesus. Now, the core of what we preach is Jesus because I genuinely believe that this is the message that God has given his church. That Jesus is our message, that Jesus is what we live for, that Jesus is who lives on the inside of us. That what we preach, what we share, what we're constantly communicating is not a theory, is not an idea, it's a person and his name is Jesus. That the core of what we preach is not positive motivation or seven steps to fill in the blank or uh, moralism or these are this is what you need to do to get better. We're not looking to just make people better we're looking to turn people from darkness into his marvelous light and so the message that God has given us is the message of his son Jesus Christ we preach Jesus 
And so the crooks of what we preach is not moralism, is not self-improvement, it's not higher knowledge, it's not man-made principle, it's Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being Jesus. Jesus, I want to tell you, our name is Christ uncensored for a reason, because at the core of who we are is Jesus. The most important thing at Christ uncensored is Jesus, and I'm not ashamed to declare it, that we're a Jesus church with Jesus people singing Jesus songs, reading Jesus scriptures and if you believe in Jesus in this place give him a shout of praise in this room it's our heartbeat it's our heart I'm not ashamed of the one I love we preach Jesus this is at the core of who we are this is at the center of our heartbeat and I believe that this is the center of Jesus disciples that when you look at the Bible, all you'll see is his disciples constantly sharing this message of Jesus. I want to take you to Acts chapter 4, verse 2. It says, they were upset because of what Peter and John were teaching the people by telling people about Jesus. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. Acts chapter 5, verse 42, every day in the house of God, in the homes, they kept teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. We do not preach about ourselves. We preach Christ, Jesus, the Lord. We are servants because of, here it goes, Jesus. So we may have different methods. We may have different flavors. Things may come and go and things might look different. But our mission remains the same and our message will always remain the same. That Jesus Christ is the son of God and he loves you and gave his life for you. We preach Jesus. Why do we have, why do we have different methods? Oh, it's, it's, that's not our message. That's not our mission. And sometimes we get confused with our methods with our mission. Why do we do growth track? Can I tell you why we do growth track? Because we want people to meet Jesus. You know why we do community groups? Because we want people to meet Jesus. You know why we have lights? Because we want people to meet Jesus. That's just a method. That's just a mode. That's just something that facilitates our main purpose. What is it? That we preach Jesus and we want people to encounter Jesus in this place. Can you give God a praise in this room? So now, so now that, was, that was my introduction. Now we're going to get into the meat of the message. I want to take you to our starting verse, Acts chapter 3, because I believe in this verse we kind of see some observations about what was important to the disciples. Why is it that they preached Jesus? Why is it that they shared the message of God's love? Why is it that they spoke so much about this one man, Jesus? And I love it because in this interaction, what you see is that they couldn't offer what the man was looking for, but they offered the man what he absolutely needed. See, sometimes you come in a place looking for something. What God gives you is not what you're looking for. He actually gives you what you need. And in verse one, it says a man who had been lame from birth was being carried by some men. Every day, these men would put the lame man at the gate in the temple courtyard. The gate was called beautiful. There he would beg for handouts from people going into the courtyard. When the man saw Peter and John, that they were about to go into the courtyard, he asked them for a handout. And Peter stared at him. He said, look at us. So the man watched them closely. And what what did he do? He was expecting 
to receive something from them. However, Peter said to him, I don't have money. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give unto you in the name of Jesus, or in this translation, it says through the power of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. I want to give you a quick, quick observations here. Number one, this man was born this way. In other words, he was used to functioning this way. This man was in in a, in a constant cycle. What did he do? What was he? Every day he got up, he was carried. He went to the temple. Every day he got up, he was carried, he went to the temple, he asked for money. Every day he got up, he was carried, he went to the temple, asked for money. Every day he got up, he was carried, went to the temple, asked for money. See, he was just used to functioning a certain way. Can you imagine that he was at at the temple where you can meet God and you can receive healing, but he wasn't looking for healing, he was looking for a handout. And I think sometimes, if I was being honest today, there's sometimes in our lives where we've been part of the same cycle so long that we are no no longer looking for healing. We're just looking for a handout. What do I mean by a handout? Meaning that you're just looking for something to help you cope to the next day. You're just looking for something. I I just need right now. I I need silver. I need gold. Give me something. And I want to tell you that sometimes what God wants to do is to give you what your heart truly needs, not what your hands are looking for. See, God is looking to give you freedom, and sometimes instead of looking for freedom, we're looking for a handout. And and, and, and here's what Peter says. Peter says, hey, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus. And I want you to write the first point to my message today. It's this. The reason that we preach Jesus is because Jesus is the solution to our dilemma. That was a good time to say amen. I'm going to say that again. I said, Jesus is the solution to your dilemma. Jesus is the solution to our dilemma. He's he's the solution to your marriage dilemma. He's the the solution to your self-esteem dilemma. He's the solution to your parenting dilemma. He's the solution to your sickness dilemma. He's the solution to to your struggle dilemma. He's the solution to, to, to what you're battling dilemma. He is the solution. And sometimes the reason we are in the situation we are in is because Jesus is absent of it. And Jesus is the, watch this, Jesus is the solution to our Dilemma. He is the solution to our dilemma. The man needed to walk. But he thought at that moment what he needed was a handout. What he needed was money. And I don't know about you, maybe he thought that that's what was best for him. Are you like me that you know what's best for you? And you know what's wrong with everybody else? Mm-hmm. Are you like me? Like I, I, anybody think they know what's best for them? Like I know, I know what I need in my life. I know. I like, I, especially if we're, you know, single folk. Oh, I love it. I love single. I just know, God, if you bring me my man, I will serve you for the rest of my days. You ever been there? Like, God, I know that if I just have another zero on my bank account, If I have another zero added to the end of my paychecks, like I know 
that I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be walking in what I need to. Like, I just know that that's what I need to be fixed. That's what I know. I'm looking. And, and so oftentimes we are, we have forsaken what God really wants for our lives. And we have tried to take control of, of, of kind of engineering and, and working out our life. And, and, and this, I know this is going to be here and I'm going to place here. And then I, I know that once I get married at 20 and after I get married, I'm going to finish college and I'm, then I'm going to have a kid. And then, and we have it all organized and, and that's what we're praying for. We're praying for our version of what we think will be fulfilling and satisfactory. We're looking for the thing that this is going to solve all my issues. And he was looking for money, but God wanted to give him healing. He was looking for a handout, but God wanted to give him freedom. And, and, and I've been in that place where I've been looking, listen to me, if you don't know what the real problem is, you'll always be applying the wrong solution. Like if you don't know what the real problem is, you think it's a marriage problem. And so you're applying the wrong solution. <laughs> I love when married people have issues. I'm like, you don't have married, marital issues. You have single people issues. See, if you don't know what the if you don't know what the problem truly is, you'll always apply the wrong solution. I remember Bishop when he was maybe about eight years old, nine years old. Bishop was incredible at solving Rubik's Cubes. 17 seconds. And one of those occasions, one of the squares pop. He runs to me. I'll never forget. I was in the living room. I was watching a TV and he runs to me. He's like, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, yes. Oh, I went old English. Yes, my son, how can I help you? <laughs> dad, dad, I need tape. And I'm like, what do you need tape for? He's like, I need tape. I'm like, for what? He's like, because I got to fix my Rubik's Cube. And he showed me what the issue was. And I'm like, son, sabes que? Tape is not going to fix your Rubik's Cube. And he's like, please, I just need tape. Give me some tape. Because I need to fix my Rubik's Cube. And I'm like, pa, clearly this kid is Hispanic because he thinks tape is going to fix everything. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's going to ask me for Vicks and say, can I apply it to the... <laughs> He's like, I need tape. And I promise you, like, we were going back and forth with this. He says, I need tape because that's going to fix my, my Rubik's Cube. And I'm like, son, trust me when I tell you, tape is not going to fix your Rubik's Cube. I think that God, what God wants to do today with some of us today is remind us, hey, excuse me, tape is not going to fix what you're dealing with. There's some of us in this place and we're coming to God and we're saying, God, this is what I need. God, this is what I want. God, I know that if I have this and God is yelling prophetically and he's saying, listen, tape is not going to fix your issue. Tape is not going to fix your dilemma. But I want to prophetically declare the way Peter declared to this lame man. He said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Can I prophetically declare to your situation right now? Can I speak to your finances and say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Can I speak to your marriage today and say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Can I speak to your parenting right now and say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Can I speak to your self-esteem in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Can I speak to your anxiety right now in the name of Jesus, get up off that mat and walk. Tape is not going to fix your issue, because what you have is not a tape issue. What you have is a Jesus issue. 
I know it's just like, well, I know Jesus, I know, I know, yeah, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. And sometimes we kind of just keep Jesus in shallow water. It's like, yeah, yeah, of course, Jesus. No, no, like, like, no, like really know Jesus. Like, like, like insert Jesus into your situation. Insert Jesus into your morning. Insert Jesus into your travel time. Insert Jesus in every aspect of your life. What we have is not a sin dilemma or anger problem. What we have is a Jesus problem. Oh, no, I just have a cussing problem. You don't have a cussing problem. You have a Jesus problem. I just have a, I just have a lust issue. No, I don't have a lust issue. You have a Jesus issue. And sometimes, you know, you go to church and, and, and psh, religion is famous for doing this. That someone is in some kind of sin and we specialize in preaching. Our message becomes tailored to attacking people and the different kinds of sin that they deal with. And what we do is oftentimes we just judge people because they sin differently from us. Oh, he, he got that kind of struggle. I don't deal with that kind of struggle. You know what I mean? That's not me. And sometimes we go to church and at church where we're, what, 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 what you hear is tailor messages attacking people and the issues that they deal with and the struggles that they have. And, and, I, and I came to tell you that it's not seven steps to how to be set free from this. It's a Jesus situation. I want to show you this church in, I want, can, I, can I gossip a little bit? I want to talk to you about this church in Corinth in the Bible. They were ratchet. <laughs> and I know I'm judging them a little bit, but I'm, sabes que? I'm looking at them, I'm like, whoa. And I just want to show you some of the things that they were involved with. Look, the church in Corinth, I wrote down a list. I went through all the things that Paul addresses to the church in Corinth. Watch this, Pastor Marquez, you're going to love this. The church in Corinth was involved in all kinds of outward sin. They had strife, envy, and jealousy with one another. The church in Corinth had some members who were visiting temple prostitutes. Continue. They had believers who were suing one another in the court. They had believers who were misusing their spiritual gift. They had people who were struggling with pride and arrogance. They were struggling with every level of immoral activity. And if you think that's not bad enough, can I show you what he addresses at one time in Corinthians chapter 5? I can hardly believe the report about the sexual morality that's going among, among, you, among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmom. We're going to be all right. We're not that bad. All right? We are going to be a-okay. I see what they went through, and I'm like, you know what? We're going to be okay. And you, you know what I thought? If I'm, if I'm Paul, oh, I'm preaching. I'm preaching. I'm preaching seven ways on why you shouldn't sue Susie. I'm preaching a message. Five weeks. Five weeks. I'm going to talk about five weeks as to why you shouldn't sleep with your stepmom. I'm, I'm going to preach a message as, as why you should stay away from the prostitutes. By the way, this is in the Bible. I'm, I'm Paul, that's what I'm preaching. And this is what religion has become famous for, just addressing these issues. Can I show you what Paul's secret ingredients was? Can I show it to you? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Look at this. While I was with you, I decided to deal with only one subject. 
While I was with you, I decided only to speak about one thing. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not like, nah, Paul, they got issues. He said, yeah, but what they have, they don't have a prostitute issue. They don't have sleeping with stepmom issue. What they have is a Jesus issue. And so while I'm among you, what I need to preach is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yes, we will have different methods, but I kind of agree with Paul that what we have is not a sexuality problem. It's not a preference problem. It's not an addiction problem. What we have is a Jesus problem. He says, I decided that in the midst of what was going on, I was going to share the message that was the solution to their dilemma. That's who Jesus is. And maybe we've been applying the wrong solution to the problems we're facing. The second thing that I believe is the reason why we preach Jesus is because Jesus is as deep as it gets. I want to say that again. I want you to hear me clearly. Jesus is as deep as it gets. I think sometimes that if we were being honest, sometimes I think we, we're a little confused with what's deep. Like I've been to places where people have been like, yo, that was deep. And I'm like, yeah, what was deep about it? I don't know, but that was deep. Church was awesome today. Really? Why? I don't know, but that was deep. And I think sometimes we're just kind of confused with deep. And, and oftentimes what we mean is this. It's usually something that stimulates our mind, but is still absent from Jesus. Sometimes we are looking for more knowledge and we are looking for more things and we are looking for something that is beyond Jesus as if Jesus is not enough. See, like I, I, one of the main reasons people start, stop going to church is because they feel this way. Ah, it's just, yeah, you know, it's just Jesus, but I, you know, I want to know about the, you know, I want to know about all the, the um, material that were u- was used in building Solomon's temple, and I, I want to know how many steps, and I want to know how many angels, and the kind of angels, and, and, like, and like, you think that that's deep. And what happens is, is that we're, we're just looking to stimulate ourselves intellectually, which is good and it's great. But I want to tell you, it doesn't get deeper than Jesus. Like, we need to hear that. It doesn't get deeper than Jesus. And if we find our hearts longing for something that is beyond Jesus just to have some intellectual stimulation, then what we may have done is encountered a doctrine and a theory, but not a person. This is so important. Like our relationship with God is not about intellectual assent. Though I think that's amazing. Though I think if you read books, it's amazing. Pastor Marquez reads three books a month. I read three books every three years. I think that that's important but only if it leads you more to an intimate relationship with Jesus. And there's so many people that sometimes get deep confused, and so we're looking at, oh, that's, that's deep, and it doesn't get any deep. You know, sometimes I think about, like, biblical concepts that we have. 
I, I think about some of the concepts that we have today, and I wonder, I, this is what I ask myself, I wonder what it would look like to have a conversation with Paul about that. Like, imagine telling Paul, like, I want something deep. Paul, Paul like, huh? I, I, I told this to Ruben the other day. I said, yo, imagine talking to Paul about burnout. Imagine talking to Paul like, hey, Paul, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, just we're in the 21st century and, you know, just, I just feel burnt out. Really? What do you mean? Yeah, just, you know, I've been coming to church every day. No, like once a week. I just feel burnt out. I'm serving. Oh, like every day? No, just, you know, on Sundays. And what, what, what do you mean burnt out? I'm just exhausted. What? You know, Paul was like beaten up and left for dead. Like imagine trying to explain to that man that you're spiritually burnt out. Imagine. I'll be t- I'll, today I was talking to Paul in my head. I was like, Paul, I'm tired. And the inner Paul within me is like, you got cracked with a bottle and you almost gave up. Bro, I almost died. Imagine, imagine trying to Imagine trying to explain to Paul that you got offended because the pastor didn't shake your hand. All right, God bless you. I'll see you next week. <laughs> imagine, try, and, and so sometimes I'm, 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 I'm looking at these, I'm looking at this and I'm like, yo, imagine trying to explain to Paul that you, that you want something deep. I think this is what he will say to us in Colossians chapter one. The mystery that has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now is out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just the Jews, to know the rich and glorious secrets inside out. Regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing, watch this, the mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in the spirit, watch this, of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. Jesus is as deep as it gets. He says in chapter two, this is powerful. Everything of God gets expressed in him. You want to know more about God? You want to know more about God's names? You want to know more about God's character? You got questions about God? Look no further than Jesus because everything about our Abba Father is expressed in the person of Jesus. Jesus is as deep as it gets. This is what the blind man experienced. He experienced healing, but then it says he placed faith. He placed faith in Jesus, that he didn't just see Jesus as a means to an end. Jesus was the end. Jesus was the destination. And I want to give you the last point today. It's just that. Jesus is the destination as the worship team comes up. Jesus is the destination. 
And I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. And this is the Apostle Paul who is writing this kind of towards the end of his life. And he's writing this also after he's experienced a lot in the spiritual realm. At this point, this is not one of the earlier letters of the Apostle Paul where, you know how when you place faith in Jesus, you have this excitement and you have this this great joy. And then like seven years later, for whatever reason, you're not as joyful as you once were when you got baptized and when you placed faith in him. This is the Apostle Paul after he experienced the third heaven. This is the Apostle Paul after he experienced persecution. This is the Apostle Paul after he wrote letters upon letters upon letters. This is the Apostle Paul that he is saying this. And what the Apostle Paul is that he goes through a a, a whole list of the things that he has accomplished and the things that he's done. But he's laying it out for a purpose because he wants to show you how worthless it is to what he's about to say. He's not sharing his resume so that he he can gloat and he can boast on his resume. He's actually lifting up his resume just to show you how much greater he's about what he's about to say. And what he says about God, this, this blew me away because I'm thinking like, wow, Paul, you saw Jesus and Jesus was enough for you. And what you see in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, At one time, all these things were important to me. But because of Christ, I decided, here it goes, I decided that they are worth nothing. Not only these things, but now I think that all things are worth nothing compared with the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord because of Christ I lost all these things and now I know that they are all worthless trash all I want now is Christ this is Paul where he's experienced it all he's experienced everything And he's saying, all those things are worthless to me. They're worthless to me. And all I want is Christ. I just want him. I just want his presence. See, the reason that we preach Jesus is because Jesus is the destination. That Jesus is not a means to an end and oh I'm just I'm following Jesus but what I really want is a happy marriage I'm following Jesus but what I really want is a great career I'm following Jesus but Lord if you could just get me this place and God is saying I'm not the bridge to your destination I am the destination what if what if everything was stripped away and all we had was his presence what if everything was taken away and all we had was his presence he says he says everything is worthless the job the car the aspirations the ambitions all those things that I want all those things are worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus 
I think sometimes when we, I, I remember when I had my first encounter with, with God. And the reason I'm sharing this is because I think sometimes we might be doing it the wrong way without realizing it. What do I mean? I mean that sometimes we kind of look at our encounter with God as the most exuberant, amazing thing we've ever had, but everything else is just enduring. And everything else is just discipline, and everything else is just a battle. And we sing songs like, come on, like, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I just think that it's, it's ne it was never meant to be that way. I don't think that, I think my love for Lisa should not be greater the day that we got married than it is now. Because every day, I grow more in love with her. Every day, I'm falling more in love with her. Every day, another layer is pulled back. And I get to see her in her glory. Oh, somebody. It's, it's, the, it's the beauty of what love means. It doesn't fade away. It becomes more intense, more passionate, more continuous, more persistent. And I just think that sometimes what we have, a, what we have committed to is a religion, but not a person. And so I was 18 years old and I was in church for the wrong reasons. I was in church for the wrong reasons. But in the midst of that man, God loved me. And God took me. And I never forget, the preacher said, put your hands up. And I'm like, I'm just going to do whatever the preacher says. And I went like this, and the Holy Spirit just got me. And I remember falling to my knees. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying this to me. He said, I've given you my word. And there are people that won't hear my word because you refuse to share it. See, I always knew I was called. I always knew God loved me, but I never wanted to walk in it. But that day, I became in love with Jesus. And every single day after that, I fall more in love with him because he reveals more of his grace and more of his love. See, sometimes we come to Jesus broken. We come to Jesus paralyzed. And God sets us free. And then we go like this. Okay, God, we'll take it from here. But Colossians says, in the same way you believed in Jesus, continue in him. Grow in him. In other words... <laughs> This is why he says in Ephesians, he says, I wish that you can, I wish that you would receive the spirit so that you would know how high, how wide, how deep, how long his love is for you. And so, and so I, I, I got caught in ministry. 
I got caught in ministry. And so at 18, I'm, I'm in ministry now. And I signed up for Bible Institute and Bible College. And then I'm like, and I'm like, okay, this is all for Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And then I'm like, oh, but, but my ministry, now I got to focus on my ministry. And all of a sudden, Jesus became the means to me fulfilling some kind of ambition in ministry. And I remember the Holy Spirit telling me, Ro, what if, what if I'm the only thing that's there? Am I enough for you? What if you couldn't minister another day? What if Christ Uncensored was not your church? Am I enough for you? And can I tell you, in that moment, I said, Lord, maybe I've been treating you like the means to an end and not the destination. Jesus is the destination. Whether we're in this church, whether we have our own building, whether you're single or you stay single, if you're in a bad situation or a good situation, Jesus is the destination. His presence is the destination. And I think sometimes we look so like, like we've, we've, I'm going to place my faith in Jesus because I want to go to heaven. No, listen, heaven is hell absent from Jesus. The thing that makes heaven heaven is Jesus. The thing that makes eternal life eternal life is Jesus. He is the destination. For in John, he says, he says, this eternal, this is eternal life, that they may know the Father and the one whom he sent. And I've been waiting to experience heaven after I die, while Jesus is saying, I am the heaven you've been looking for. I am the heaven that you've been waiting for. I, you don't need to wait till you after death to experience heaven. If I am in you, if I am with you, if I am by your side, you could experience heaven right here, right now. Would you get up on your feet with me as we pray? Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 says this. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. That they truly know me. What matters is that we would know him. What matters is that he would be enough for you. I think the Holy Spirit is in this place and he's speaking to some of our hearts today and he says, listen, I want to know you again. I want to know you like I've never known you before. Maybe we've placed our focus on the wrong thing. The reason Jesus is our message is because Jesus is the destination. He is enough. Even when things fail, Jesus is enough. Even when I don't get what I want, Jesus is enough. Even when I'm battling and struggling, Jesus is enough. Even when my prayer life is not where it should be, Jesus is enough. Even when I can't get to my aspirations, guess what? Jesus is enough. Even when I'm struggling with sin, Jesus is enough. Enough. Even when I'm battling sickness, guess what? Jesus is.